Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. And you will see Long Gone Summer, the documentary about the summer of 1998, the home run chase between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. That will be on ESPN TV. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker, and it's a pleasure to go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And a guy who was the Cardinal Farm Director in the late 80s, a Cardinal coach under uh, Whitey Herzog and Joe Torrey, and a longtime Major League Manager and Coach Jim Riggleman joins us now on 101 ESPN. Riggs was the Cubs manager in 1990. And Jim Riggleman, it's been a long time since we spoke. It's good to have you with us. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Jim, we are so excited for Long Gone Summer. There's so many questions that we want to dive into you talking about this documentary and that time in baseball history. But first things first, how surprised were you that Sammy Sosa ended up being the guy to challenge Mark McGuire in this home run race? Yeah, you know, I think I was surprised that anybody would, would – uh, challenge, uh, you know, Roger Maris, challenge uh, Mark McGuire, you know, uh, Sammy, you know, we knew he was, uh, had a propensity to hit home runs and he had, he had hit 30 for several years. And uh, I think the previous year he was on a pace to um, hit a bunch, you know, um, maybe it was 96. He was, he had hit like 40 and he got hurt with a couple months to go. So, um you know, we, we knew he could hit him, but um, we didn't, you know, when it came right down to challenging the number 61 that that Maris had, uh, I don't think anybody thought anybody was going to catch it back in those days. Jim, what do you think the difference was when the calendar flipped to June and Sosa hit the 20 home runs in June? Well, you know, it, it, notoriously in Chicago, uh, it's early in the year. The ball doesn't fly as well. You know, you get into later May and June, and the wind starts to turn off the lake, and you get some balls in the air, and they got a better chance of going out. I know uh, I saw Ryan Samberg hit a lot of balls in April and May one year that would have been homers that, uh, you know, turned into outs. And, um, uh, you know, Sammy got hot at the right time as the wind started to blow out. And, you know, he had the tremendous power anyway. So, um, you know, the result was 20 home runs. I don't know that he hit more on the road or at home, whichever. But, uh, you know, one thing I will say about that, I, I always let people know he hit 20 homers that month, and it's a tremendous accomplishment. But it just accentuates it's a team game. That's the only month of the season that we had a losing record. Wow. Wow, that's so interesting. And it is a team game, and you were managing a team that ended up going to the playoffs, but how was that uh, to to balance both of these things? You have a team that you need to keep focused about the games that they need to play, but then you have this entire other, you know, for lack of a better term, circus going on with media everywhere and this home run chase. So from a managerial standpoint, how did you balance both of those things? Well, you know, that's a great question. I get asked that a lot when I, as we approach this uh, long-gone summer episode. And the answer is really Sammy handled it and the team handled it. The, myself and the coaches really, uh, you know, the, we had a great group of veteran players. They handled it well. Sammy really, you know, the demands that were on him and the demands I'm sure that were on Mark in St. Louis – were, uh, you know, just uh, over the top, and and they handled it. Uh, Sammy had a smile on his face. He looked forward to the talk with the media every day. Um, the rest of the team was able to go to work, 
you know, the rest of the team wasn't having to answer as many questions as the uh, games got more and more important down the stretch and we were trying to get into the playoffs. Uh, that was always our focus. No, nobody's focus was ever, let's, let's get Sammy these homers. You know, if Sammy was going to do that or not, that was secondary to us trying to get in the playoffs. And, uh, but, but Sammy taking the, the uh, brunt of the attention from the media really helped the rest of the club. Jim, we know that Sammy has a larger-than-life personality anyway, but do you think the absence of that pressure that he was supposed to be the guy to get this done, the fact that he just kind of came out of nowhere and entered this race, allowed him to be that way, to show up at the ballpark with a smile on his face every day and handle the media the way that he did? I'm I'm sure that did. You know, um, Mark, you know, was a a big man, six foot three, six four, whatever he is, and imposing and had this history of hitting home runs and was just getting better and better. So, you know, if if anybody was going to do it, it was probably going to be Mark. And so Sammy was able to kind of just sneak in there and and do his damage and, uh, uh, you know, maybe not have the pressure on him to do it that Mark did. Former Cubs manager Jim Riegelman is with us on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And Jim, it, it was interesting to me how, and we'll revisit this, by the way, on Sunday night, how there was the game within the game. There was a weekend series in Wrigley where those two went at it and Sammy hit one and then Mark hit one. And then obviously here uh, when McGuire hit number 62. And as a manager, you're laser focused on the winning the game that night. Were you able to enjoy, from a baseball fan's perspective, what was happening before your eyes? I was, you know, I enjoyed it. You know, once it's kind of like what you know when Kerry Wood was striking people out. You know, he's a rookie. Uh, you know, you you enjoyed it. You kind of watched the numbers and so forth, and we we were able to do that with Sammy. But again, it was secondary to. Um, you know, everybody's focus was, you know, Cubs getting into the postseason. And um, it was a, a three-team race for the wild card. Pretty much it was the Mets, Giants, and us. And, um, you know, it was – I don't think at any point in the last two months of the season was there more than a game-and-a-half separation. So every game was monumental. And um, it was, um, you know, it was uh, – the home run race was secondary, but we certainly did enjoy it. Jim, as a media member at the time, I will admit that I was completely naive to PEDs, and Mark has subsequently admitted to using PEDs. Uh, what was where? What was your position then? Were you as naive as I was? Did you have suspicions? What was going through your mind? I was very naive about it, and uh, I, don't, I don't say that as an excuse. You know, I just. It just wasn't really something that uh, people were talking about. And I shouldn't have been naive about it because I can remember uh, before 98 seeing some players who were a lot bigger than they used to be, you know, and, and I won't name names, but I'm just, I remember seeing guys and thinking, man, this guy has been in the weight room or something, you know, and, and then, you know, somebody would throw that word out there, steroid. And, and I really did not, analyze it i didn't think about it when it was the opposition so the the other thing that came into play and i i probably will end up have said this in the uh, in the long gone segment you know a very popular product in those days was creatine and we had a number of players using creatine and our trainer was very much against it 
So he was he was impressing on me, and I would I would mention it to players. Hey, be careful with that stuff. Now it's it's legal, but it it really it it got guys bigger and they stayed bigger. You know they they but it it really had a propensity to have guys end up pulling muscles and so forth. So when I would see a big guy, I thought, man, this guy is overdoing it on this creatine or something. You know, I did not really think in terms of steroids. Jim, a lot of uh, storylines are being brought back into focus with this documentary airing this weekend. And one of them is that Sammy Sosa hasn't been back to Wrigley in a long time. And it's getting a a lot of pub nationally. And I know Sammy Sosa was on ESPN 1000 and said he would love to have that reunion at some point. Do you think that that's something that should happen, a reunion between Sammy and the Cubs? And do you think it will happen? Well, I I think it should. You know, it's not my place to say. I mean, you know, it's it's the Cubs – um, you know, ownership and so forth. That'll be their decision. You know, but I can only give my opinion. I just really hope that Sammy is welcomed back into the stadium because, um, you know, he, he did so much for the city. He did so much for the ball club. Uh, he and Mark brought baseball back in 98 after, after the 94 strike. They really did a lot to get fans interested again. And, um, you know, you, you don't want to see things happen um once they're gone, you know, someday Sammy's not going to be on this earth like all of us. And, and I, I would like to see Sammy honored in Wrigley Field, uh, you know, while he can still enjoy it and the fans can enjoy him. I don't know. You know, there's a lot of other uh, things that are involved with that. And uh, I certainly understand every, everybody's uh, thoughts on it. But but that's my thoughts. Finally, Jim Riegelman, I want to ask you about baseball in 2020, the the analytically inclined baseball that we're in. And the Cardinal manager, Mike Schilt, I'm sure as you know, is like you, a protege of George Kissel. George was a mentor of of Mike's and, and yours. How much should Cardinal fans take to heart that what George Kissel taught is still being taught in baseball by people like yourself and Mike Schilt? Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, George's legacy is that, that so many under him. You know, you had a great guy instructor there in, in St. Louis that just retired, Mark Dijon, and he was uh, a great mentor for uh, Mike Schilt also. And they carried on the legacy. You know, Pop Warner, uh, so many of the other guys who were around with George uh, carry on the legacy of George Kissel and other people, the antenna of people, uh, the, the tree of, uh, people that uh, George taught around baseball are still teaching it. And, you know, one of the things that George always said, and I really took to heart, George was in his 80s, and we would be out on the field, and many times George would come up to me and he'd say, I learned something today. Mm. And, you know, he, he, was, he was in his 80s. He wasn't stubborn. So anything that's taken place analytically, believe me, George would be receptive to it. He would uh, use it. He would go back to his basics and and uh, intertwine the two, I'm sure, because, um, you know, George was, was all about information. And, uh, you know, if you could get information and pass that on to players, then that was that's what George felt his job was to do to help the St. Louis Cardinals. Jim Ringelman, great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for your insights on Long Gone Summer and other things. And uh, keep up the great work. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Take care. That is Jim Riggleman. He has managed five teams and really got a raw deal in Washington. He he should have been retained in Washington, and they would have won a world championship sooner had they kept him as their manager.